0: you're listening to The Honey Bear Files. My name is Mariah, but my sons call me Honey Bear. I wanted to record some life lessons and advice for them before I forgot because I have a bad case of mom brain. My kids are one in three, so these lessons are for their future selves. Hi guys, it's mama. Adult content has been included. Jack, hello Archer. I am excited to be able to record these for you guys. This is our first one, and one of the things I wanted to start off with was somewhat of a time capsule to let you know what's going on today. My assumption is that you're going to be listening to this far into the future, like when you're 15 or 16 or older. Um, Hopefully, (laughs) you'll decide you want to listen to it. Um, Today happens to be Archer's birthday you're one. Happy birthday, Archer. You are so cute and you are so precious. Uh, I also wanted to share some current events that are going on because as I share my thoughts and ideas and stories with you, it's always good when you're listening to somebody to try to understand their context, right? Like what are they going on? What is going on in their life? What are they going through? And it really helps you understand the layers of a person's point of view, which is what you're going to be hearing me talk about today. And so currently in my world and in the world that we live in, uh, Donald Trump is the president. I did not vote for him. I say this because I'm predicting that things are going to get increasingly more wonky as the future (laughs) unfolds in front of us. Um, there has been mass shootings in America, most recently, uh, the worst mass shooting in Las Vegas. And it was very hard, um, for, me, not just because people lost their life and it was awful. It was hard because Jack, you were you're three and a half. You were watching uh, news with your dad in the morning, and it was breaking news, first thing in the morning. And you were like, mom, people got hurt. Why are people getting hurt? Can you talk to me? What? Why are they hurt? Why are they hurt? And I had to try to unpack why this person would shoot and kill and hurt a bunch of bunch of people, hundreds of people. And it was terrible, mostly because I wasn't expecting to have to try to explain to you the underbelly of the world in which we live in right now. So that happened. Um, I definitely used a little bit of my Mr. Rogers, uh, in my back pocket, which is like, this is terrible. This person was filled with hate. He was filled with anger. And instead of dealing with that, he decided to hurt other people. But now that this horrible thing has happened, we get to look for the helpers. And right off the get go, a police officer came onto the news to talk about it. And you said, mom, look, there's a helper. And I thought, okay, we got, at least we're we're getting somewhere with this. There's some hope um, that there's good in the world. Um, also, right now uh, there's a lot of protests going on, um, be, from racially charged protests to gender uh, protests, uh, gender equality, immigration issues are high on the forefront of people's minds. I think that the Protests are going to become more and more common, and I'm glad about that. I think that when more that we realize that there's strength in numbers and that those who are marginalized or have been victimized or have felt as though they have no voice, turns out there's more of them than they realize, than we realize. And when we come together um, for something like a protest, um, there's strength in numbers, and there's strength really in unity and being able to have a collective voice, and on that note, sad note, um, more and more women in the news media are actually talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault, um, this is also something that breaks my heart, but it also gives me tremendous hope, um, similar to protesting, um, and similar to, uh, these different pockets of voices that are starting to come together, what, I believe happens when people come together to either for good things, like, you know, they come together for church or to worship or they come together for protest or they're willing to come together and share common stories with one another and then get those stories out. Um, the more women and men who come out to say, Hey, I have been sexually assaulted or I've been sexually harassed. Uh, what it does Is the louder that voice gets, that collective voice gets. It is my belief that that voice is what starts shaping our culture and creating new boundaries of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. And sometimes that can be for the negative, but I think in this case, the beauty that's going to rise from the ashes, from these from different people's horror stories of horrible things that have happened in their life, the common thread of, hey, this needs to change, will actually create change. And uh, we won't think certain things are acceptable. So hopefully as you guys grow into men, you will be kind and respectful and you will understand the lay of the land and understand women a lot better than your predecessors. That's my hope for you. So that's kind of the time capsule. Today we're going to talk about something that's really important to me. It's a little bit serious. Going on, I want to talk all about you guys. But today I wanted to start off by talking about something that's really on my heart, primarily because of all of the current events. Um, It stirred up a lot of ideas and thoughts for me. But the primary one has to do with this idea that there is room for everyone at the table. So that's what we're going to be, that's what I'm going to just ramble on about for you today. You're going to have to listen to me talk about it, but you love me because I'm your mom. So I love you guys so much, honestly. Um, and I want to be real. Like I don't necessarily trust that everything that you're going to learn in your life, we're going to learn at school or learn from the different people in your life or even from church. Um, I believe that it definitely takes a village to raise a child and you too, you guys have some rad people in your village. It takes a lot of love, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of teaching to really raise up a child right and that's good. I'm proud of our people, but I want you to hear some stuff and I want you to hear it from me specifically and I want to make sure that I read, you know, really raise you right. Like for example... I am not going to leave it to the church to teach you about God. Trust me. I know what goes into kids' church. It's awesome. There's a lot of great things you learn about God from church that are all good and it's all true, but it really is just supplementary to what you need to be hearing and learning and watching from your dad and me at home. And that goes for, really, the rest of your life, too, by the way. Like, you're in charge of your heart and your soul and your decision-making and your faith and your spirituality. Like, it's not up to me to decide that for you, and it's not up to a pastor to teach you how to do that. Um, You can go to church all you want, and that's fantastic. I have been a pastor. I'm a big fan of organized religion. Yet at the end of the day, it's just you and God and nobody else. You got to take responsibility for your choices and what you want for your life. And, uh, you know, when it comes to God and when it comes to church, there is a seat for everyone at the table. I would go as far as to say that there is even a seat for Darth Vader at the table. And larger than that, in the world There is a place for everyone at the table, for everybody. Uh, This idea is not just the current events that have come up for me. I had this really weird, it feels almost like um, a little visit to the Upside Down, um, a little weird experience. Um, I went to a small church for just a little bit of time, um, and towards the end of my stint there, um, I saw that people were being asked to leave the church because um, they either questioned authority or they were kind of one of those tough people that engaged in quite a bit of conflicts or kind of stirred the pot a little bit. Um, they were people that created some tension. And it, it didn't say, well, for me on a lot of levels that they were asked to leave. But the bottom line really is it sparked this idea within me that I felt like I urgently needed to share with you? I was really convicted when I saw this behavior, because and what I it made my knee jerk reaction is that um, since these people were being asked to leave because of conflict issues, I instantly made a list of the relationships that I had that I had dismissed because they were quote unquote hard people. And, uh, there were relationships that I needed to resolve and revisit. And, um, I also needed to excuse myself from being at this church because obviously I didn't believe in the same theology or philosophy that they were, um, adhering to. And that's not really the point here. The big idea that boiled up to the surface was this idea that you don't come, you don't cut someone out of your life simply because they're difficult. That everyone deserves a voice and an opinion, and everyone deserves to be listened to, even if you don't agree with them. And when it comes to God, uh, there's a place for everyone, and diversity really is the spice of life. Um, The best example I can give, it's a church example, and I'm so sorry, because uh, that's just my background. I've been a pastor for forever, it feels like. Um, and so this is, that's where I tap into as far as relating stories to, I, uh, was at a church I had, um, you know, taken a job as a children's pastor and, uh, there was a volunteer, his name for the sake of the story, I'll call him Mr. James. Now I love Mr. James. Um, at the time when I took this position, there was about 25 kiddos. There was 10 volunteers, one of which was Mr. James. And nobody warned me about Mr. James, which I'm actually happy about in hindsight. But man, in the moment, it totally caught me off guard. This guy was so very passionate about fifth and sixth graders. I mean, he's actually passionate about everything he puts his mind to. You give him any topic, he'll have a very strong opinion about it one way or the other. He's so strong of an opinion, he'll fight you. Well, within a couple weeks of taking this job, I had my first run-in with Mr. James because I wanted to change something, and it had to do (laughs) with him giving kids money when they behaved well or participated. I like the idea of using candy. I am, like, not opposed to bribes. But bottom line, we had a quick and heated discussion about paying kids money, and I got completely cussed out by Mr. James. Now, listen. I haven't been that cussed out that hard since probably I got in my last fight with my brother, who is your uncle. So it kind of rattled me. When you get cussed out and you're not expecting it, it can sometimes get your adrenaline going. Well, I went to my pastor, who was my boss. I needed some feedback. I go to him, hey, I got into this conflict with Mr. James. And his response to me, he started laughing at me. He started laughing. He smiled. And he said, You know, Mr. James just has this tendency to be a loose cannon. Sorry I didn't warn you about him before. Um, But here's what I didn't know. uh, Is that he also uh, was a little OCD. And that change actually was very difficult for him. Now, your knee-jerk reaction might be, Mom, listen, what are you having this crazy loose cannon around kids for? Or... People with problems like this who have a tendency to cuss people out probably shouldn't be around kids or you don't just get a free pass to cuss someone out because you have uh, a handicap or you have a problem with stuff or I I get those are normal knee-jerk thoughts. But the real answer to what I needed to do with Mr. James doesn't lie in that type of thinking. My pastor said to me, he said, I got your back. However you choose to resolve this is fine, but remember, everyone has a place at the table. How was I going to respond to an intimidating wild card like Mr. James? One, I made the decision that he was always going to be invited to my table. He he might not want to come to my table, he might decide that my table's the worst table to be at, but I wanted him to know he was always invited. And if I was going to keep him, I needed to not take the blow up personally. I needed to just stop, take a step back, and take a look at his way of expressing his opinion. And if I was going to take another step back, what was his actual opinion? Was it a valid opinion? Did it matter if kids got a dollar each time they participated? Did the kids like him? What were the results up to this point? Were kids progressing in their journey with God? Did they want to be there? Was anyone mad at him? Meaning, did the parents care? Could I make an exception this time and let Mr. James be Mr. James? So I called him. You know, he totally quickly apologized for his outburst. I apologized because I took a long time to get back to him. Um, But I let him know that we needed to find a middle ground for us. That no, teachers should not be paying children. But for Mr. James, when he volunteers, he can be the dollar man. And there was no reason why not. Uh, There was actually more reasons for it. I let him know he's valued, that I needed his OCD. I told him that all the time. Uh, I need that. He brings a special gift to the table. Um, He's not only invited to my table, he's needed at my table. He loved the kids and they loved him and parents loved it all. So, and just for the record, it wasn't the last time that Mr. James told me to F off and that I was wrong, Um, but it, and it wasn't the last time that we didn't have a dance around the table, but in the end, he always had a seat at my table and I learned something from him. I, I did. And it was that you cannot give up on reconciliation. He never shied away from it. He never avoided me. He always was willing to talk. He was always willing to argue it out. And he was always willing to forgive. And he never gave up. He always stayed in the game. I'm using, I want to say this too, like, he's, he's still in my life he's still stirring up dust wherever he goes. I mean, he's a genuine, authentic guy wherever he is. And honestly, I need more of that in my life. And if he can do it, he can be himself, and he can stay in the struggle, I can do that too. And it can be totally easy to cut hard people out of our lives. When someone hurts you, they make you angry, the easy road in your mind is to think that you don't need them anymore. Uh, it's better just to walk away without attempting to resolve conflict. And, my loves, I love you so much. I have to tell you that this type of thinking is wrong. You have to engage people at least once. And if you need help engaging the conflict, uh, you bring an unbiased friend or your mom to help you. Uh, if you try to wing it alone, um, that's cool. If you it's always good to bring someone else in to help you, uh, especially if the conflict still lingers after you give it a shot. If you bring someone to help you and you still can't resolve it, fine, drop it. But engage it first. Give yourself a chance to feel that true resolution of peace and confidence that comes from making peace out of something that's a super huge pile of shit. Now le- listen, Side note, don't let people abuse you. Like, I'm not saying that. I uh, um, I don't think that's resolution. Um, if abuse is the issue, grab me. Tell me. Talk to your dad. Grab someone, anyone who loves you. Let's talk about how you feel like someone's abusing you. And let's create a game plan to confront your abuser and see what we can do about resolu- resolving it from that perspective. So back on track here. Jesus. Sermon on the Mount. Probably my favorite part of the Bible, if you ever need your mama, trivia. He said this, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Peacemaker. Not a peacekeeper. True peace requires work. It is the work of relationship reconciliation because everyone deserves a seat at the table. Now, hopefully you're in, you have passed English 101. I hope, please. Oh my gosh, I just had one of those mother dread moments. What if they don't? You will, you will do it. You will learn in a good story, there is an antagonist and a protagonist. Now, protagonist is like the lead character, the hero, and the Antagonist is the person who opposes the hero, so like the villain. And you need both characters for a good story. The older I get, the more I understand that the blessings that the antagonists are in my life. I need them. They would create balance. Okay, so there's this popular TV show. It's like in its gazillionth season, and womp womp, I don't actually watch it currently, but I watched the first two seasons. So please go. Go with me here on this. The TV show is called The Walking Dead. It's about the zombie apocalypse. What happens when an outbreak turns everyone into zombies and there's only a small group of survivors left? Now, instantly you would think clearly the survivors are the protagonists and the zombies are the antagonists. But what is really interesting, at least in the first couple seasons of the show, is that this group of survivors are always at odds with one another. Like, they, there's the protagonist, who is our sheriff. His name is Rick. And he seems to always know all the ways to survive the zombies as they come at the group. He knows the best routes and the, the easiest ways through it and how to kill as many zombies in one final blow as you can. And he somehow always has the magic answer to survive... And then there's always someone in the group that's like, Rick, this is the worst idea you've ever come up with, right? And there's, so first there was this guy named Shane who never wanted to get along with Rick. He even was trying to steal Rick's wife and this whole thing, right? So really the protagonist, for the sake of argument, is Rick and anyone who opposes Rick is the antagonist. Protagonist Rick, anyone else antagonist. So first you have Shane who's like, Rick, you're you're a cool guy, but I have a better way. Somehow Rick finds a way to kill Shane. So now Rick doesn't have Shane to be his antagonist anymore. But then there's this other guy who's always disagreeing with Rick, and his name is Dale. Now listen, Dale's a good guy. Dale's this old dude, and he has a white RV. And Dale's figured out how to use the RV to keep the group together, to drive away from zombies. And he even sometimes gets on the roof of his RV and uses his the top of his RV as a place to stand, to, to do target practice on the zombies. He's really kind. He thinks about others. But what Dale has a problem with is somebody who is a know-it-all named Rick who doesn't let people vote. So Rick's like, here's what we need to do to get away from the zombies, da-da-da-da-da. And Dale's like, who are you, Rick, to tell us what we should do with the zombies? We should take a vote. Everyone should be able to tell their side of what they think is the best way to escape the zombies. We should write it out, and then we should vote on it, and whoever has the most votes, then that's the strategy we follow. Because we don't want to do hail to you, Dictator Rick. And Rick says, Dale, we don't have time for this crap. There's freaking zombies coming after us. And Dale's like, seriously though, Rick? Stop trying to be Hitler on us. We're not into it. And Rick's like, come on, Dale. Okay, that's pretty much it. Where am I going with this? Dale dies. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Dale dies. Dale dies. A zombie rips his guts open, which I... It's probably a terrible way to go because it's his stomach that gets ripped open. So he's fully aware that he's being eaten by the zombie as it's happening. It's awful. It's heartbreaking. You would think that Rick is finally free to do what he thinks is the best thing for the betterment of the team. You'd think that, but you would be wrong. The lack of tension, the lack of questions, the lack of an antagonist makes Rick a complete monster. He becomes a dictator leader and he's the worst version of himself. Dales are everywhere. Like every job you will ever have will have one Dale in it. Every class at school, there's going to be that one guy that feels like sand in your underwear and is irritating. But everyone needs Dale. Do not kill off your Dale. Dale needs a seat at the table because it's needed. We need to stay in the struggle. Okay, one of my favorite piano sonatas is Beethoven's Sonata Number 8, the Sonata Pathétique. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't care. You know what I'm talking about. I know you do. You know that song, right? This beautiful song, it starts off slow and low and dreary, and then it picks up to be very fast, shrill, and climbing melody. And just when you think you cannot take the buildup anymore, it resolves, and you feel the resolution inside your body when you hear it, it's beautiful. When you stay in the struggle until there's resolution, you become a peacemaker. You become a person that creates beautiful things. No one's going to stop Sonata Number 8 before the resolutions. The resolutions are the best part of the song. They're the most memorable moments. It's when you become friends, but then become best friends. It's when war turns into true peace. And I want to read you this Bible passage from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 straight up just going to read this. Chapter 12, verse 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, We are all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. I feel like he's talking about penises here, but that's just me. I don't know. Back to the story. But God has put the body together, 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 giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Listen, boys. I know you don't want me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You would die if you could not go poop. You need your butthole. You need your colon that processes your food into poop and pushes it out of your butt. Shitty people matter. God loves stinkers. Okay? Now, can you imagine if I gave up on you every time you were a stinker? Now, I love you so much. I couldn't, I can't even, I would never do it. I'm your mom, your father, our love for you. is unconditional. We would never give up on you. And God's love is unconditional. And as children, it's easy to take that for granted because it's just there. It's reliable. Well, that's why we follow Jesus. God shows us places in our hearts where we could use some improvement in the love department. I mean, God is love, after all. And being a peacemaker is one key to loving people correctly and letting that true love heal our own broken and selfish hearts. At it, any time in your life, you happen to be in the business of people. Conflict happens. Work on becoming professional peacemakers. I want to address something that might seem a little bit off topic. I want to talk about, the, uh, about questioning authority. It really does have everything to do with this. So just follow me here, okay? Did you know that the majority of of dialogues between Jesus and other people started because they were questioning him. Like times where, you read this uh, in the New Testament all the time, when it comes to G- Right in front of any of Jesus's teachings, most of the times you hear something, it's introduced along the lines of, some teachers of the law came to question Jesus about blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. It doesn't matter, right? A good example of this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Some teachers of the law, some experts of the law came to ask Jesus some questions. And then what did Jesus do? He told a really rad story. People just, they question Jesus' authority all the time. And guess what? He's totally okay with it. God is totally okay with you questioning him. Because it allows him to then talk to you about what it is you're questioning. It's it's rad. Questioning authority. Newsflash, too, for you. Everyone questions their leadership. You turkeys question my leadership for you all the time. I question the President of the United States all the time. Uh, I question my employer's decisions all the time, too. It's normal to question leadership. In fact, I think it creates just the type of tension That protagonist-antagonist tension that we talked about earlier, it's needed. A leader might think, if I just get rid of that one person, I'll have peace and be able to do what I want. Nope. If only life were that easy, right? I would like to challenge you, Jack Archer. Go back in history. Look at leaders who got rid of people who questioned them. Go ahead. I know I'm asking you to do something that will turn your eyes towards some of the more ugly things in history, but learn from it. Everyone has a Dale to their Rick. Uh, Let me talk to you about this list I made of people (laughs) that I had been avoiding because of conflict or tension. It really wasn't a very long list. I promise. Uh, I went through each relationship that I, on the list, for the sake of argument, let's say it's five people, okay? I went from, who is the hardest person for me to talk to, and who is the easiest person? And then I went, and I did it, I did easiest to hardest. And then I went and said, okay, for each of these people, what could I do to create some type of olive branch of peace uh, between us, or to start a conversation if needed? For one person, it was just a simple text of encouragement. Another person, I invited him over to our house for some coffee. Um, for the biggest one that I was most afraid of, I scheduled a face-to-face. You know what happened? Uh, each time I resolved a relationship, I got excited. This sounds so crazy because it totally blew my mind. Um. A lot of the fear that I had that was keeping me from resolving these conflicts was all internal dialogue of fear that I had made up in my own mind that wasn't actually real. And when I had a chance to resolve the conflict with the person, all of those things were gone. Um, And not only that, I got a chance to own my own stuff and to apologize and ask forgiveness because I too am an asshole. Uh, It was liberating. And it created this like snowball effect um, by the of excitement. Seriously, by the time I got to my one big scary person, I was totally pumped. Like I lost sleep. I was so excited for the possibility of being at true peop- peace, like true, complete peace with the people in my life. I was. I was looking forward to it. I did it. I got that resolution. I, I cannot explain to you. I feel like I am the most healthiest internally in my heart that I've been in years. I feel so good. I feel so free. Um, and I feel like uh, I don't feel isolated. I feel like I have people in my life that love me and care about me and I have courage to continue to resolve uh, conflicts as it comes up uh, without fear or all the weird stuff that comes from being at odds with other people. I don't. I'm not at odds with anyone, and I, and I love it. Okay. True peace. Um. So let's look at it from like from politics a little bit because I think I talked about current events and it it matters here. So. Right now, Donald Trump is president and a lot of uh, racial tension, uh, racism in general is come to the, to the, to the surface. I don't think that, I think one of the things that Americans are realizing is that um, from the civil rights movement till now, um, there's been like what it feels like to me, I am just some lady, but it feels like to me a veil has been lifted um, in recent months of what really is going on in America regarding racism. And it's not that racism went away and came back. It's that it's been here the whole time, just no one talks about it and that's not okay. Um, There are people who uh, do not think that everyone has a place at the table. Now listen, you guys come from a Jewish family, although I am Christian. And so for Jews, you wouldn't necessarily be considered a Jew, but you have Jewish blood that runs through your body and through your veins, and I'm proud of that. You should be proud of that. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Nevertheless, there are people who would consider you to be a Jew anyway, and if they had their way, they would round you up and find a way to get rid of you and me and our family, and that's real. And what makes me sad is that I look at our current events and it shows me my own white privilege because it wasn't until Nazis were protesting <laughs> that I started becoming concerned about my family, which, um, as I talk about white privilege, just allow me to be sloppy here. Um, the white, the idea of white privilege is new to me. It's a new part of my vocabulary. That's part of my white privilege problem. Um, this problem, uh, well... The privilege, white privilege, it allows you guys specifically, you guys don't have to think about being white or not being white. Um, You don't really have to think about race because it doesn't get pointed out to you. Uh, You don't have to think about discrimination in the same way that people of color uh, have to deal with it every single day. Um, And that's why you need to make it a part of your everyday life to make sure that people are included at the table. Uh, You need to be aware that you have it easier and, um, and you don't think about this. You guys, you don't have to worry about, um, being scared of getting shot if you get pulled over by the police or if you break down on the side of the road or if you go to someone's house asking for help. Um, you know, we'll talk more about this as you get older, but I really want to make sure that I say it out loud now because, um, We do need to have more talks about this. Um, For example, the best way I can think about uh, the privilege that you two have, Jack and Archer specifically, uh, if you were to think of life as a race, like a race, not like we're talking about racial issues, but I'm talking about like a race, like you're running a race. One of the things that you... um, all have, everybody has pretty much the same goal in mind. So let's, for the sake of the story, say that the starting point of the race is that you were born, right? And that the the finish line of the race is that you have a job that you like, that you make enough money to do the things that you want to do, that you feel like you're contributing to the world in a way that's satisfying, that you found somebody that you love, that will stick by with you for the rest of your life that you can start a family with, okay? I think generally speaking, um, you're healthy. Those are all things people want to reach as some type of destination in their life. Now, what, what privilege means is that it's like in this race, you guys get a he- get a head start in running to that finish line. Like you get to s- your starting point is a little farther down the racing course than other people. So things like both of your parents are married and love each other, um, both of your parents have a college education, you will be able to go to whatever school you can get into if you decide, if I decide that you should be in private school, I have the means to get you there. You have access to healthy food and healthy activities. Your grandparents are in your life and care about you. Um, You, uh, and these are all things, your, your boys, you're going to grow up to be men. You're going to grow up to be white men. These are things that are beyond your control. You were born into this family in this surrounding, nevertheless, like, even though you didn't choose this life for you, this beautiful life that you get to live with me, your mom loves you so much, you nevertheless have a head start at reaching the, 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 the end game, the destination, the finish line. And that's called privilege. Being able to, those who don't have those privileges... Um, have to work harder. They have to overcome more struggles and more conflicts and more uh, adversity to get to their destination. It is much harder for them. As a woman, it's harder. And then you factor in um, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, all of that starts convoluting and making it more and more difficult. And so uh, this means that it's our responsibility to, as those who do have privilege, whether we chose it or not, right, to constantly look behind us for those who need help getting up to where we're at, to be looking out for those who don't have what it is we have, to, to be those who help others get to where they need to go because we have the upper hand in some areas. Engage conflict. Do the work. It's humbling, and it hurts to bend the knee at first, but then you realize how much power it is there is in, uh, in humility and how much power there is in resolution, and it feels so good. You need Mr. James, and you need a Dale... And even if you think you're so wonderful, you are somebody's pain in the ass and we still need you. And when you work to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table, they win and you win. I love you guys. May you be people that work to include the outcast and the person on the margin. And may you understand that if you want love, you give love. And if you want friends, you be that friend. And may you follow Jesus and work to make peace and advocate for those who have no one. May you feel God's love and see his path for your life. And may you choose to walk with him, clutching him as you take the hard way, which is the way of love.